Good morning. As always, Riverside is a fellowship in Christ, joyfully committed to gathering for him, growing in him, and going with him. And that remains true today, as it remains hopefully true until the day Jesus returns. And we praise God that even though we're not together right now, we are seeing God work in the lives of his people, as the people of Riverside are working in some wonderful ways to meet needs by serving people, by giving of themselves to people, and it's such an encouragement to see our church stepping up like that. Um, God's work continues at Riverside, even though Riverside isn't meeting. We look forward to this week to starting our first Thursday night Zoom prayer service. So if you would like to join us, please check the Riverside update or reach out to me, and I'd be happy to get you connected for that for Thursday evening. And know that we as elders are praying for you. We're praying for you as individuals. We're praying for you collectively. We uh, care about you and uh, believe God can use even this profoundly in your life. I want us to begin today by opening up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to close out Matthew chapter 6 today, and I'm going to read verses 25 through 34, this most famous passage, Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord God, we want to be kingdom seekers. We want to be people who have our eyes upon you because you command it, because it's best for us, and because, Lord, it enables us to look past the challenges and the worries of this life. We thank you, Father, that you do love us immensely. That you sent your son, Jesus Christ, not just to be the great teacher up on the mountainside, but to be the Savior who would lay down his life for us. We rejoice, Lord, that we get to call you our Father and to come before you this morning in prayer even, Lord, saying, Our Father, please use this word powerfully in the life of your people. We thank you, and we rejoice in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Worry is a matter of the eyes. 
And by eyes, I mean perspective and focus. We know this because Jesus uses the word seek in verse 33, telling us to seek as ultimate something that's bigger and better than the concerns of this life that overwhelm us and rob us of joy and fill us with such unrest. Worry is connected to where we look. If we are looking only down, then we see only the concerns of what is here on earth, here down below. And we become fraught with concerns over our earthly needs or over something that has happened to us or over something that might happen to us. But if we have trained our minds to look above where Christ is, then we can see the greater reality of what God is currently doing and what God has promised to do. And when we look above, as the old hymn says, the things of earth begin to grow strangely dim, and our anxieties can then be checked. The context demands that we take this passage on anxiety and connect it to the reward-filled future that Jesus has been speaking about and has even promised to us. If you remember, he challenged the disciples to give to the poor, to pray to their Father in heaven, and even to fast from food uh, with his heavenly reward being in our minds. And in verses 19 through 20, he bluntly told them, and he tells us by extension, to seek this reward. He says in verse 19 of chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And now, here in the last part of chapter 6, before we close out this section of this sermon, in this passage on worry, in verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God. So, Christian, our first priority, our first aim in life, our primary vision should be the treasure that is God's kingdom, that is here in part now and is to come fully on that day when Jesus arrives again on earth. Matthew Henry, a Welsh Puritan pastor whom I have learned to grow more and more in appreciation of, he writes of this passage, There is scarcely any one sin against which our Lord Jesus more largely and earnestly warns his disciples or against which he arms them with more variety of arguments than the sin of disquieting, distracting, distrustful cares about the things of life, which, he says, are a bad sign that both the treasure and the heart are on the earth." So when we sin with anxiety, it reveals, it's a sign that our heart and our treasure are on earth. So it seems abundantly clear that Jesus wants us to approach all of life with a heavenly kingdom vision. 
And what he teaches us now is that this vision is the key to battling anxiousness. John Calvin, the reformer, he writes, He who assigns the first rank to the kingdom of God will not carry beyond moderation his anxiety about food. Nothing is better adapted to restrain the wantonness of the flesh from breaking out in the course of the present life than meditation on the life of the heavens. And I agree. I agree. Thinking about what is to come is key to fighting what we experience now. Now let me say that I cannot and do not presume to begin to know all of the concerns that you are facing today. Some of you are wrestling with some terribly difficult things, things that I am not currently experiencing. And so I have to acknowledge that, that though I'm going to communicate God's word to you, and though I think it does say some very real things for your challenge, I have to admit that I'm speaking God's word, and there's a lot of things about your circumstance that I don't get and can't relate to. You may be losing your job, you may have a loved one who is very sick, or you may be prone to greater fretting when large-scale disasters like the one we're currently experiencing rear their ugly head. So I'm aware that some of you are battling worry and anxiety at a level that some of us just don't understand. But let me also say that Jesus is speaking in this sermon to his disciples to human beings just like you and just like me who would soon, even in this gospel, face stormy seas and experience a shortage of bread and be surrounded by some really sick people. And they would then go on to see the arrest and the crucifixion of their Lord Jesus, feeling the fear of what might happen to them now that he was gone. And upon his resurrection, that glorious resurrection from the dead that we celebrated last week, they were then unleashed upon the world where they would then go and endure great hardships and face tremendous persecution, and most would even surrender their lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. So my dear friends, whether you battle worry a little or a lot, Christ's word applies to you today. The Bible is speaking into your life today. And there is a way to battle anxiety, and that way is related to us this morning in this passage by none other than King Jesus. Now let me say that it is good and it is wise to be thoughtful and to have a godly care for the things of this earth. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 23, it says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. What I think that means is that diligent attention and exertion in our daily responsibilities are a must for all of God's servants. We are to be about caring for the things that God has given us to care about. We are not to sit back and we are not to presume upon God's provision. No, instead we are to work hard in faith and watch as we work, watch as he provides for us and through us. Furthermore, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, 
For I have no one like him, referring to Timothy, no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. We are to have a great concern for other people, to see them prosper both spiritually and even physically. And this loving concern should profoundly motivate us in our lives as we are to strive hard in order to see them prosper in their lives. But there is, my friends, a care and a concern that crosses the line into sinful anxiety. And it is this anxiety that Jesus rebukes here in Matthew 6. This anxiety includes a peaceless, restless thinking that is unable to put that worry out of the mind so that it negatively affects important parts of our lives. Matthew Henry, again, he refers to this as a a quieting, tormenting thought which hurries the mind hither and thither and hangs it in suspense, which disturbs our joy in God and is a damp upon our hope in Him, which breaks the sleep and hinders our enjoyment of ourselves, of our friends, and of what God has given us. This anxiety also includes a distrust of God. It fails to demonstrate faithful rest in his ability to provide. Henry again says that this inordinate care for time to come and fear of wanting supplies springs from a disbelief of God's promises and of the wisdom and goodness of divine providence. So, godly concern becomes sinful anxiety when it fails to trust in God's provision and when it robs us of God's peace. We battle anxiety as Christians through a kingdom vision. We battle it by training our eyes to focus on Christ and on His kingdom treasure that is indeed to come. And I want to relate four reasons why this is the case today as they come to us from this text. Four reasons why we battle anxiety through a kingdom vision. Number one, the the first reason is that a kingdom vision appreciates God's value for his people. Look with me again at verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So reason number one, a kingdom vision appreciates God's value for his people. Disciples of Jesus Christ are not to be anxious about our life because our life is more than the things that we're anxious about. Now, perhaps that's confusing. Let me say it again. Disciples of Jesus are not to be anxious about our life because our life is more than the things we're anxious about. The basic needs for humans in order to stay alive are, of course, food and clothing, which I think includes shelter. 
We need to be able to eat and we need to be covered in order to be warm and have protection. And we not only worry about these essential needs, but we often worry about whether we'll have even more than what we need. We're concerned about not just having food, but with having a certain diet of food. Or about having the ability to be able to enjoy good things with each other and with our kids. Or to put out a nice spread when we have guests over to the home. We're anxious about not just having clothing, but with having a nicer clothing and more clothing. Apparel and accessories that not only cover us, but also help us look sharp. We fret about our food and we fret about how we look. And when dangerous times come, we go and we invade the grocery stores and we stock up on all of those things that we're afraid that we're all of a sudden not going to have. Now understand, our Lord Jesus experienced all the tug and pull of life that we also experience. While on earth, he had to eat and he had to wear clothes. He had to have a warm place to sleep. He had to have a roof, at least at times, when it was cold. So the Savior understood the need for sustenance and for shelter. Yet the Savior himself says right here, do not be anxious. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. And I think he does mean those things that are necessary for life, like food and clothing. It's, it's plain in the context that those are included. But I think he also means something more than that here. I think he's ultimately saying that we should not be anxious about our lives because we have a far greater life than what's found in these basic things on earth. And that's why I think he asks, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I think he's saying that we are meant for something superior to these simple everyday things. And that what is superior to these everyday things should enable us to cast aside our anxieties over these things. For instance, if you remember back in chapter 4, when the devil came and tempted Jesus... Jesus responded in a very interesting way. It says in Matthew 4, 3 and 4, that the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus relates to the enemy that he was living for more than bread. And his followers are now to live for more than bread and clothing. Jesus lived for his relationship with his Father. And he lived to be in obedience and bring praise to his Father. And now his children, their life is to enjoy relationship with their Father and to live in obedience, honoring the commands of their Father, just like the Savior Jesus has done. Our life, like Jesus, is more than bread, it's more than clothing, it's more than shelter, it's more than the things of this life, because we are an eternal people, and we know an eternal God, and the priority in our lives is not what we put into our mouths, but the God we praise with the words that come from our mouths. Jesus lived for more than bread, 
and his followers are to do the same. And our Father, oh, it's a sweet joy to know this, our Father immensely values our lives. If you know Jesus, if you are one of his followers, if you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for you, and you are in fellowship with him through faith in Jesus and what he has done, my friend, our Father immensely values your life. You're one of his people. He cares deeply about not only the here and now of our livelihood, but he cares about our eternal livelihood as well. He has a deep love and a profound care for his children that enables him to help us find rest when we are in such turmoil in this life. In verse 26, Jesus uses the birds as an example of the Father's care for his creation. Birds don't sow seed in the ground in order to have it grow, nor do they put crops in barns in in order to store it up for later. And yet our Father feeds them by supplying them with precisely what they need to live. And God's answer to the suffering man named Job, he says in Job 38 verse 41, Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? And of course the answer is, God does. He's the one that provides. In the circle of life that he himself has constructed, he has provided for the raven as he provides not only the seeds on the ground that they go and pluck up and consume, but also the field mouse that roams around that they swoop down and eat. He does this for all of his creatures too. As the psalmist says in Psalm 147 verse 9, he gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. So God provides for his creation. And Jesus argues here that since God cares and provides for simple creatures like birds, is he not even more willing to provide for his people whom he cares so much more about? That word value that he uses here in the Greek, it refers to being different but in a more excellent way being different in comparison to something else, but in a more excellent way. God cares about us differently than he does the rest of his creation, and he cares, us, cares about us more seriously and more intensely than he does than the rest of his creation. His care for us far surpasses his care for all of the rest of his creation. As Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 31, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We're simply worth more to God than everything else he's created. And the primary way he has demonstrated his care for us, of course, is by sending us his son Jesus. The son who teaches us on this mountain is the one who would go and lay down his life, shedding his blood to pay for your sins and mine. And if you, like me, put your trust in Jesus alone for salvation, your sins will be forgiven and you will forever have that eternal relationship with God the Father. If you don't know Jesus, put your trust in him today. Uh, Paul, he writes about that in Romans 8, verse 32. He says, He 
who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you catch that logic? God, the Father, he did not even spare his own son, but he graciously, out of love, gave him up for us all. And if he did that, then here's the argument, if he did that, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, he's already given us Jesus to die and rise again as our Savior. And with that as evidence, can't we accept the fact that he's going to give us every single thing else that we need? That's God. He gives, and when he gives, he just turns more of it over into giving. The grace just continues to abound. So if God so cares about his treasured people, how should we then respond in those ancient moments anxious moments of our lives. Well, Peter, again, one of the men sitting on that hillside, he later on wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. My friend, when you reflect upon the profound care of God for his elect people, including you if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, then you can be free to cast your anxieties, your doubts, your worries, your fears upon him because he's a God who cares for you. The second reason that Jesus gives today is a kingdom vision understands the futility of worry. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. My friends, worry brings us only bad and never any good. It causes us stress. It raises our blood pressure. It leads us to anxiety attacks and heart disease. It brings trouble to our relationships. It robs us of our sleep. It corrupts our joy. And it even destroys our taste for food. And what does it give us in return for all of that? Absolutely nothing. It never leads to a good result. It never makes us better off. And we are never glad afterwards for having succumbed to it. Worry is the worst of all deals. And people, unfortunately, make this deal every single day. Because they forget that it brings them a return of zero. Worry is incapable of providing us anything that we want or anything that we need. It cannot add a single hour to the span of our lives, Jesus says. Or literally in verse 27, it cannot add one cubit to his span. A cubit was a measurement of length, about the distance from the tip of the finger to the edge of the elbow. And Jesus says, that worry cannot add any length to you. And in this context, I think he means it cannot add any length to your life. He is saying that worry doesn't make you taller. Worry doesn't make you wealthier. It doesn't make you safer. It doesn't make you stronger. It doesn't make you better. And it doesn't make you live any longer. 
Worry is futile because worry cannot do anything for you. And rather, our lives, from their length to their purpose to their everyday circumstances, our lives are fully in the hands of God. Psalm 39, 5 and 6 says, Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And that sounds like the book of Ecclesiastes. And in fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 14 says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. Therefore, my friends, we must stop worrying and start trusting God, the God alone who is capable. Worry can do nothing for you. But God can do everything for you. In fact, He already has. The third reason Jesus offers this morning, I think, is a kingdom vision trusts in God's sovereign provision. Look with me at verses 28 through 33. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Solomon was a king full of earthly splendor. He put out the best table. He wore the best robes. He had the best palace. He had the sharpest guard. And he lived in the greatest city. Yet those wildflowers, those lilies all bunched up in a field of grass... They far surpass Solomon's splendor as they are filled with far more beauty. For all that Solomon was able to create with his own hands and his own wisdom, nothing, nothing matches the creative work of God. These flowers, they don't toil or spin, yet they grow into the most beautiful sight because God is the one who caused them to grow. And if God is able to do that, if he's able to do that with the temporary flowery grass of the field, will he not also provide for us, his beloved chosen ones? The flowery grass is here today and gone tomorrow. It is thrown into the oven and is burned. Yet God's people, God's people are an eternal people. We are highly prized by our sovereign Lord. So will he not meet our needs? 
Jesus says to his disciples after that, Oh, you of little faith. And he's going to say this several more times in this gospel. It's not a praise. This is a loving rebuke. He says battling worry is a matter of faith. He connects worry with faithlessness. And we need to expand our faith that we might trust him with all of our needs. And the way to be anxious about nothing is to be faithfully in prayer about everything. To trust God in such a way that you go to him with your needs. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're commanded not to be anxious. Instead, we're commanded to be prayerful. And when we are prayerful, there is a guard of peace that God gives us that allows us to live life in his trust looking to him rather than being riddled with the fears and worries of this world. Instead of acting like unbelievers, we should believe that our Father knows our needs. In verse 32 of Matthew 6, Jesus says that Gentiles seek after these things, referring to food and drink and clothing. This is a reference to those who do not believe They do not trust in the one true God. They are not followers of the God of heaven. These are those who are outside. They worry about the essential needs of life and they have no place to turn when those needs become scarce or when life becomes scary. But our Father knows our needs. He says in verse 32, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. My friends, Our Father is not ignorant to what's going on in your life. He knows precisely what you need. In fact, He knows it even before you do. You're in Matthew 6, but but look back to verses 8 through 10. In verse 8, Jesus says, Do not be like them, referring to the hypocrites who would pray with lots of words in order to be seen by people. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then He tells them that to not be like them, they're to pray in a certain way. And notice how He tells them to pray. He says, verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He says, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. He wants us to come to him in prayer. He commands us to come to him in prayer. He delights when we come to him in prayer. But when we come to him in prayer, we're not informing him of anything he doesn't already know. He knows our needs, but he wants us to come to him and say, our father, we need your help. And note how this should lead us to pray. When we pray with that knowledge, he says, you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So even before we ask him to meet our need of daily bread, which we must, we go to him and we express, Father, our delight, our desire is to see your kingdom, your will done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So once again, we battle all of this anxiety by looking and praying towards the kingdom that is to come. Well, in verse 33, back in our passage, Jesus gets to the heart of this message. Seek first, he says. Seek as your first priority two things that are wrapped up together, he says. Number one, seek the kingdom of God, the kingdom that has come spiritually in us, that's working through us, yet is still to fully come when Jesus physically comes to this earth. So number one, we're to seek the kingdom of God. And with that, number two, we're to seek God's righteousness. And both of these are intimately connected. Jesus would say later on in Matthew 13, verse 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. One day, all of his righteous people, whom he made righteous through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and through the powerful working of his spirit as he transformed them day after day to become more like his son Jesus, one day God the Father will have all of his people in his glorious kingdom and they will shine with him. Well, we're to seek that. We're to seek the kingdom to come and the righteousness that will come with the Father by seeking to live it out now and by seeking for that day to come when it will be complete. Our primary aim in life is to be the Father's glory in the Son's kingdom as His righteous people who constantly, daily pursue righteousness on earth right now while we fully await perfect righteousness in his kingdom that is to come. This is to be the driving force for all of Christ's followers. And when this is the case, Jesus says, when that's our ambition, all these things will be added to you. In short, there will be a margin There will be excess. We'll have extra. We'll have more even than the kingdom to come. For we will have all of our needs today met as well. Because the king takes care of his kingdom people. And when you grasp this, when you understand that fighting worry is about getting your eyes off of now and up, to the king who is to come. When you grasp this, it changes your life. If I might quote Matthew Henry one more time, he says, Oh, what a blessed change would it make in our hearts and lives did we but firmly believe this truth that the best way to be comfortably provided for in this world is to be most intent upon another world. Oh, what a blessed change would it make in our hearts and lives did we but firmly believe this truth, that the best way to be comfortably provided for in this world is to be most intent upon another world. Lastly, reason number four, a kingdom vision focuses upon today's responsibilities. Jesus closes this out and he says in verse 34, Do not, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. My friend, you cannot do anything about tomorrow. 
Sure, we can plan and we can save and we can prepare. And those are good things. And Jesus is not speaking against those things here. He's not saying that we shouldn't ever prepare. He's speaking against worrying about what we cannot control. You cannot alter the God-ordained events that will come, even those events that will happen tomorrow. James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what, will, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. My dear friends, there is no sense in being anxious for tomorrow when we are not in any way in control of tomorrow. Yes, we can make some preparations, but, but ultimately we have to conclude that it is all in God's hands and he does not want us to worry over what he's going to bring. Jesus says tomorrow is anxious for itself, meaning I think that tomorrow has its own problems and they are best dealt with tomorrow rather than being worried about them today. Instead, he says, sufficient for each day is its own troubles. We have been given plenty of responsibilities right now that must be addressed. Tasks that God has put before us that we can be about right now. And they, and they too require a great amount of faith Embracing God with each step today, because today is plenty hard enough, my friends. Today we have need to know God better by seeking Him out in His Word. We need that this morning, and we need that this afternoon, and this evening. Today we are to love our brothers and sisters, and explore ways to help them and love them better. Today we have to use our monies wisely, trusting God's provision for us and for those that we love. Today we have tasks to accomplish and we have duties to fulfill. Your children have needs, your, your parents have needs, your spouse has needs, you have needs, your neighbor has needs. The things that are in our charge today, these are the things that we must be about today. Instead of worrying about tomorrow, be about your kingdom responsibilities right here today. Now, in light of all of this that Jesus has said, it can be easy to get into the, to get into the theological weeds and, and not really bring it clearly to life and to offer some tangible helps to people. So in light of this, I, I want to answer, or at least try to answer, an important question as practically as I can. And that question, I think, that perhaps some of you are asking is, how can we maintain a kingdom vision when worries begin to creep in? How can we keep our eyes upon the king and upon his kingdom to come when worries begin to creep in and assault us in our lives? Let me provide six brief answers, and then we'll be done. Answer number one I would give to that is that we have to understand that the battle begins with preparation. It begins with preparation. We must be seeking his kingdom right now. In fact, we need to be seeking his kingdom already 
It should have started yesterday or weeks or years ago, but at least it should start now already. We should be seeking his kingdom daily and urgently and prayerfully in his word, by seeking him in his word. That battle begins against worry right there before the day even begins. It starts before worry ever even reveals itself in our lives. It starts with our preparation by having a close walk with God where we read from his word, where we meditate on portions of his word, and where we pray his word in communion with him. My friends, we first of all keep our eyes upon the kingdom to come by having an ongoing deep fellowship with the king. So before anything else, are you preparing for the battle that will come? And secondly, and right alongside of this, my second answer is, we must grasp the necessity of chiseling Scripture into our minds. And by that I mean, we must take God's Word and not just approach it in a light way, but approach it in such a way that we meditate on it and even memorize it so that it sticks into our minds We rehearse it every day, or we put it up on a wall so that we see it every day, or we recite it to someone or with someone every day. We put it into our minds like chiseling in a rock so that it stays there and won't go away when the dark hour comes. If we are in a battle with worry, verse 33 of this very passage is one that I think we simply must have in our minds ready for the attack. Because when that attack comes, we can say back to it, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We're reminded of his promise and we're exhorted to look forward to him. And an important one to me when I begin to doubt and worry is found in the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7, which says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. It reminds me of His character that is good. And it reminds me of His knowledge that He knows me even when my eyes are wandering all over the place. When worry comes. Answer number three, we should enlist battle brothers and battle sisters. We each need that trusted Christian friend to prayerfully encourage us and to challenge us and even to rebuke us that we might take our eyes off of the here and now and put it on Jesus who is to come. Answer number four, We need to practice going without. Going without trains us to have less. And when we are trained, we are able to better face the possibilities of a life that's missing something that we thought we could never go without. And we train, we become practiced at this when we begin to start fasting in our lives. So let me take that third answer and that fourth answer and put it together. How about you find yourself a battle brother or a battle sister and you begin to set aside a day every week or every month, whatever it might be, where you're going to go without some things 
And you're going to pray with each other and you're going to help each other and you're going to hold each other accountable because when worry comes, you want to have built a strong relationship that is used to going without so that you can battle back in God's strength. These are some of the means of grace that he has provided. Will you use them? Answer number five. We can read about others who have battled before us. A most practical way that you can begin to reorient your mind to kingdom things is to read solid Christian biographies of the kingdom warriors that God has used before. Oh, let me tell you, my friends, I am chomping at the bit to put some of these in front of you. If you want a good place to start, I got them. There are some great ones that will give you examples of individuals who persevered when worries and doubts began to come against them. And then number six, answer number six, we can give generously in the midst of uncertainty. That sounds counterintuitive. We're worried maybe about finances or about our livelihood, but I, I still insist we can give generously in the midst of uncertainty. We can focus on the needs of others today and seek to meet those needs today, whether that be tangible help or monetary help, physical help in some way. And this puts our focus on kingdom business. It it allows us to align our minds with God's vision, God's mission for us, rather than on the things of tomorrow that so just make us worry. So my dear friends, we battle anxiety by having a vision for God's kingdom to come. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I rejoice that we do get to know you, such a good God. And even though we are in a world that is filled with so much uncertainty, that has so many reasons for the Gentiles, the nations, the peoples of this earth to worry, and can also so easily trip us up, Lord, we have a God who cares for us so deeply that we can cast all of our anxieties upon you. Would you help the people of Riverside to be fearless Would you help them to know your peace, Father, by being prepared, by being wise in their approach to life, so that when the attacks come, Father, they may look with gospel vision upon what you have already done for them, Father, and lean upon you for strength for what is about to come. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to send you out with this benediction from Romans chapter 15, verse 33. May the God of peace be with you, all. My friends, you are sent.